Where are you right now? Where has he planted you? You don't have to look very far to find out where God called you. Don't uproot yourself from where God has placed you. God say to go? That's the title of tonight's message. Just because there is a famine in the land does not mean that you uproot your family and move to a better place or at least a place you deem better. Just because it's expensive or it's getting increasingly more liberal. Do I hear anybody? Yes, yes, yes. Doesn't mean that you leave the place that God has called you to. If God's called you to that place, God is also going to equip you to stand and make a, and be a, and make a difference, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to begin this series in the book of Ruth. We're going to see how mercy truly triumphs over judgment and how the least become the greatest. Every single one of you are going to find yourself in this book. How the least become the greatest and how famine leads to harvest and despair turns to delight. Despair, every place in your life where there is despair, it's going to turn to delight. So the story of Ruth, it's a, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful love story between Ruth and Boaz. An intermarriage between a Jew and a Gentile. This Old Testament book of Ruth foreshadows the New Testament pointing to Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. And so the word kinsman, there are some things that, so today's going to be an introduction, okay? The word kinsman is closest relative. Jesus is our closest relative. He's our kinsman redeemer. In other words, he's related, but we are related to him by blood. It's his blood, though. It is his blood. It's his supernatural spiritual blood that we are related. He is our kinsman redeemer, right? So when we look and we read and we study in this, in this book, there are so many different analogies and beautiful parallels that we're going to be able to pull and take for our own life. And your walk as a believer in Christ will become enriched because of it. Amen? Hallelujah. So two of the qualities that just jumped right off the page was faithfulness, God's faithfulness, the faithfulness of Jesus, and the fact that he's our redeemer. So I've got some cross-references, and then we're going we're gonna to read in Ruth in, in a moment. But 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, because he's faithful, Jesus. God is faithful. It says, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. See, you have to know that as God was faithful in this book, in this story, in Ruth, that God is faithful in our lives. And not only is he faithful, but he's establishing you 
and he is guarding you from the evil one. Say, I'm being guarded from the evil one. He is literally surrounding you and guarding you from the evil one. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says, he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Sometimes you hear somebody say, won't he do it? And I love that. It's awesome. But you know, it says here in this word, he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. He will do it. He will do what he has begun in your life. God is faithful and God will do it. Amen. Bible says in Isaiah 43, fear not for I have redeemed you. I said he's faithful and he's the redeemer. He says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. So Ruth is one of two books in the Old Testament named after a woman. The other one being Esther. So Ruth was a Gentile who married a Jew and became the ancestor of our Lord Jesus, where Esther was a Jew who married a Gentile and ended up saving the Jewish people. Isn't that awesome? This is a story that begins with famine, but it ends with the birth of a baby. Obed. Obed means worshiper. It also means servant. It began with a famine, but it ends with the birth. Our story also begins with famine. Every single one of you. Maybe you didn't look at it like that before. But we were in a spiritual famine before Christ came into our lives. Before we received Christ, we also were in a famine, a spiritual famine. We did not have Christ yet. But then the divine birth came. The divine birth in our lives where Jesus, the ultimate servant, Boaz meaning servant and worshiper, Jesus, the ultimate servant, he led us into becoming worshipers of the Most High God and receiving the benefits of Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. So I see many, many parallels. And the book of Ruth, it's important that you know this, but the book of Ruth takes place right in the middle of, of the book of Judges where everyone did whatever was right in their own eyes. It's important that you know this. Yet even a nation that rejects and abandons the Lord, even when the nation, like as a whole people group, abandon and reject the Lord, there's always a remnant. There's always the faithful. There's always the committed few. There's always those that stay, that stand, that are committed and that's what we see with this young, non-Jewish, Moabite woman who would soon commit her life to God. And the whole course of her life would change. The whole course of her life changes. Ruth chapter 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and his, the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons, Mahalon and Chilion. It says here that Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left and her two sons. They took two wives, the woman of Moab, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. And then both Mahalan and Chilion also died, 
So the women survived. The woman survived her two sons and her husband. If you're taking notes, I want you to write some of these down. That Bethlehem means a house of bread. That Moab is a nation descended from incestuous Lot. How many of you guys remember the story of Lot? Elimelech means God is my king. Naomi, pleasant, lovely, delightful. Mahalon, weak and sickly. I don't know who would name their son weak and sickly, but they did. Chilean, failing, like weak and sickly and failing. And then Or Orpah means fawn, and Ruth is friend. We'll go over some of these more as we get into this story. But because of famine, they left Bethlehem, the house of bread. So there was a famine in the land, and they left the house of bread because there was a famine. And they went to Moab, a nation that was descended from incestuous lot. Their, leave, their leaving resulted, though, in death, in loss of every kind. How many of you guys know the story? How many of you don't know the story? Some of you. Okay, good. So it's a pretty good mix. So they're leaving this land where they were in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to go to Moab where they experienced so much loss is, is kind of the focus of tonight. So death to her husband, eventually death to both sons. But the story is a story of a fruitful end with the beginning of famine, death, and loss. There's many points that we're going to draw from this story as we move on, as we move on in this series. But tonight, I really want to look at why they left the place of bread. Do you ever wonder that? Especially for those of you that maybe do know this story. Why did they leave the place of bread? Why did they leave Bethlehem? We know that there was a famine. We already have established that there was a famine in the land. So I want to talk to you about a famine for a moment. Because a famine is a natural byproduct of sin. I know some of you guys don't think about it that way, but it's true. When there is a famine, it's a natural by byproduct of sin, somebody's sin. may not be yours. This was a judgment that was being imposed by the people upon themselves through their disobedience, not by God. It was a judgment because of choices. The Lord had previously warned that the land itself would turn against them if they were unfaithful to him. That is important to know. You have to know the history behind some of this in order to receive the fullness of what we're talking about. So if you turn to Deuteronomy 28, maybe we'll just put up some of these scriptures, Deuteronomy 28, 15, because there's a series of scriptures in Deuteronomy that actually tell you what I just said. I'm going to read 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to carefully, observe carefully all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now let's go to verse 16. Cursed shall you be in the city, cursed shall you be in the country. Verse 23 and 24. And your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze. And the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. Verse 24. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down until you are destroyed. And then verses 38 through 40. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in. For the locusts shall, come, shall consume it. We'll go all the way to 40. 
You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your oil for your olives shall drop off. So here we see that the famine, which is a natural byproduct of sin, was a judgment that was imposed by people that already through their own disobedience to the word of God. Now, if we look at our culture where we are at today, we see the same exact thing. The disobedience to the word of God. A famine of its own sorts, right? Still, I would consider a famine spiritually, you know, just it's spiritually depleted, spiritually empty, uh, just an emptiness because of rejecting God. Now, I want you to also see this scripture, which is in Judges 2.11, because during this time in the book of Ruth, I said everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Judges 2.11, it says, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They served their statues. They served their idols. And so they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And now this is the setting of the book that we're starting to study. Elimelech's choice to move his family to the country of Moab was not God's direction, but it was possibly just of his own decision. Right there is the key. Right there is the key. It wasn't that God said, move your family because there is a famine. But in his own rationale, he moved his family because there was a famine. Right there is the mistake. Right there was the problem. Can he blame God for that? No. Can we blame God for that when we do things that are similar? No, absolutely not. So the events that followed his death, the death of his two sons, they, these were not the perfect will of God. Oh, you hear all kinds of things that people come up with to try to soften the blow, if you will. Well, it was the will of God. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was the choice. It was the poor choices of certain people and then the resulting effects. Oh, maybe you don't hear this kind of preaching, but it's the truth. It's not grace, 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 and that's it. There is truth, and we yes, there's responsibility, and we need to own up for some of our decisions and then learn to actually make choices that are God-fearing before we even make those choices. That could be so destructive, right? So their deaths were a natural result of being outside of the perfect will of God. There's the perfect will of God. God is faithful to protect you when you stay in the confines of his will for your life. We know Psalm 91.1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When we dwell, we abide. There's the blessing there and there's the protection. So did God tell you to do that is the question that you should be asking yourself. Especially before a big decision. Did God tell me to do this? Did I hear from him first before I moved? People go, oh, California is getting so corrupt, I'm moving. Did God tell you to move? Oh, it's getting so expensive. It's so liberal. Did God tell you to move? 
And if God didn't tell you to move and you go ahead and move because there was a famine in the land, you might just have stepped into an area of destruction that had you have stayed and weathered the storm and actually been a light in the midst of darkness that you would have actually walked right on through that storm and still be standing when all the pieces actually came back together because they're coming back together. So did God tell you? Did you hear from him before saying yes to something? People say yes because it sounds really good, but everything that glitters is not gold. Did you ask God, did you hear him to say yes? It's ministering to somebody, amen. Did you hear him say yes? So important. So we cannot presume on the grace of God. When you presume on the grace of God, that can become very tragic. It can have a very tragic end. One that you cannot blame God for. And you also cannot say it was his will. So there are many events in our lives that are not directly brought upon by the hand of God. I'm going to give you three of them. One, the fruit of, gener of a generational curse. You can't blame God for the fruit of a generational curse. It's somebody's sin. Maybe it wasn't yours, but you, you can't blame God for that. Number two, the product of flesh wanting its own will. It's cheaper, it's better, it's closer, it's this, it's that. It's still wanting your will. You can't blame God when the, nat when the natural consequences come into effect. And then the third one is the, the seducing work of the devil, our adversary who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10.10. 10. So anytime there is a famine in the land, it is not a time to run and look for better shelter. Now, I want to cross-reference this with some other famine that you might, have, you might be thinking about right now. We're going to look at the Israelites living in Goshen. When Jacob discovered that his son Joseph was alive, I mean, the guy thought he was dead for all those years, that his son was dead. When he discovered that he was alive and living in Egypt, he and his sons moved there to be with him. And this was by the hand of God. You'll see that in a minute. When they got to Egypt, Joseph provided the best of all the land for them to live on. Joseph provided the best of all the land, remember that, for them to live on, Joseph. The land was called the land of Goshen, and it was the place where God's people were to live. Now, Genesis 45, 10 and 11, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall bear, you shall be near to me, and you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have, next verse, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. When you step and stay where God has told you, I don't care how many years of famine are still to come, that's where your provision will be. We don't run based on current events. We don't run based on the fear and the panic that seems to increase as people talk about what's coming next. I know that my Jesus is coming and my eyes are on him and not what may be coming next in the land. And we're not going to shift and we're not going to move from God's appointed position. Amen? Amen? And it's important that we get this. So the meaning of Goshen means this. It means drawing near. Goshen is drawing near. 
And it was located near Joseph. Remember I said Joseph has said for his family to come? Joseph. So Goshen was located near Joseph so that he could watch over them, so that he could care for them. Why is that so significant? Why does that get me so excited? Because Joseph was a type and shadow of Jesus. That's why Joseph was a type and shadow of Jesus and Jesus is our provider and Jesus is our protector. And he says, I want you to draw near to me. See, Joseph said, I want my family to be near me in the land of Goshen. I'm going to provide for them there. I'm going to take care of them there. But he's a type and shadow of Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to keep your eyes on me. Draw near to me. I will draw near to you. Even in the midst of chaos, trials, and, and tribulation, when you draw near to me, I, saith the Lord, will provide for you. Does, does anybody have a yes in their spirit about that right now? We know that we know that no matter what is going on, Jesus says, just draw near to me and I will be your provider. Just draw near to me and I will take care of you. I will protect you. So it's important that they stayed in the land of Goshen because it was the land of provision. It was the land of provision, the land of blessing, and the land of protection. We will draw near to God at all times where he provides. So when the plagues hit, because the plagues did hit in the land of Goshen, there was a distinct difference between the people of God and the people of this world. When the plagues hit, a distinct difference. Don't you know that there is going to be a distinct difference in your life too when you stay rooted, when you stay planted right where you were called to be and not run because of your own logical thinking or what people have told you? We move and we do anything. We should be doing anything by the word of God. Lord, teach us to hear you even more clearly. So all that dwelt in the land of Goshen experienced that provision and that protection. So the perfect, will to, the perfect place to be is in the perfect will of God, not the permissible will of God. The perfect will of God. Because you could be in the permissible will of God, but that's not the perfect will of God. And we all want to be in the perfect will of God. If he directed you, then he's going to provide for you. I want you to say it over yourself. If God directs me, he's going to provide for me. If I direct me, I'm going to have to work it out myself. That's not a very good place to be, is it? If I directed myself, then I got to figure it out. Hmm, not good. But if God directed you, then God will provide for you. And that's, that's the truth. So we see this, and we're going to continue to see this in the story of Ruth. You know, as, as, we, as we just dive into this book, we also see Ruth's undying devotion to her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi, and how great of an example that is of her courage and her faithfulness because she was a true friend, just as God is a friend to us, and he sticks closer, closer than a brother. He sticks close. Jesus should be your friend that sticks closer than even a brother. That's a scripture. That is the word. But Ruth was so close, and she stayed close because she knew that was her God assignment, and she wasn't going to separate herself from, her, from a God assignment, even though she was at that point in time not yet 
a lover of God, even under even understanding who this God was. But she loved that woman, and she knew something about this woman was special. And so don't you think that your own walk, don't you think that your own testimony, when you speak, when you go out, when you do, that your life is speaking volumes. And they may not know out there, they may not know Jesus, but they're going to know Jesus through your life. She ended up becoming and understanding who God was because of the testimony of this woman, Naomi, right? But we'll get into all that as, as soon. So we will see how God is not a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of persons, and he does not discriminate. He loves to lavish his love on all mankind. See, what the world would call an outsider, I mean, the world would have called Ruth an outsider, right? The world would, what the world would call an outsider, God includes, if only they're willing, and here's the scripture for that, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's go to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world, repeat it with me, to condemn the world, but that through him the, they might be saved. Right? He didn't send a son so that they would be condemned, but that they would be saved. In other words, God is not looking to exclude people. The world is looking to exclude people. People try to exclude people. Churches can become like cliques and like social clubs. They shouldn't be, but sometimes they do. God forbid that. But God does not look to exclude. He looks to include. If you're willing, God says, if you're willing, you will eat the good of the land. Ruth 1 and verse 6. Then she arose with her daughter, daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So she's over here, lost everything. She lost everything at that moment in time. And she heard God visited her people with bread. The house of Bethlehem, again, the house of bread, is filled with bread, again, right? So no matter where you are, if you are in the center of his will, that is the perfect place to be. He will provide for you. I don't care how scarce it may seem or how little it may seem or how difficult it may seem. And we know that Jesus is the bread of life. So at any point in time where you go, this is getting hard, this is difficult, what else? What else is going to happen? What else is going to happen? Jesus is the bread of life. He will sustain you. He will lift you up. He'll keep you. He'll keep you from falling. The word of the Lord says he'll keep you from falling. But do you believe the word of the Lord? Because when you believe the word of the Lord, then you receive it. Like you receive it in its fullest. If you don't, then you are limited, not because the word doesn't work, but because you're not receiving the fullness of it, and the unbelief is blocking you from receiving it all. But I'll tell you right now, we continue to preach the word of the Lord in this place, and I'll tell you right now, you are growing in your walk. You're growing in your understanding as to what the word of the Lord says, and you're not going to make these flippant decisions that could literally completely change the course of your life, not just change it, but devastate you and destroy destroy what God really wanted. Now, what if they had never left? I know that God ultimately works all things together for good. And we're going to see the end of this beautiful story. I already told you there's going to end in the birth of the son, you know, right? Yeah, and so, so Obed, right? And so, and, and his name means worshiper. What else does it mean? Servant. 
right? Servant. Okay, so I want you to, if you're writing notes, I want you to write some of these down because, because the more that you understand the meaning of words, the, the more rich the, texture, the, the text becomes, the more that you understand the meaning of some of these words. So then you put it together and you go, wow, wow, I'm not going to leave the place of bread to go to a place that looks like it's great on the outside, but in reality, the root of it is a as a as a incestuous lot. It comes from a, a place of, of heathens and 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 such diabolical sin. I'm not going there. But if God called you there, where is God called you? If God called you right where you're at. So we go, I don't know where God called you. I'm not sure where God called me. Where are you right now? Amen. Where has he planted you? You don't have to look very far to find out where God called you. Don't uproot yourself from where God has placed you.